0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please take them and open them to the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we're continuing our series of sermons. Uh, Of course, as uh, Jonathan says on the uh, preparation for our worship, uh, a series following the theme of the I Am sayings of our Lord. There are at least seven recorded by John in his gospel, seven sayings uh, that our Lord spoke regarding himself using the term I am. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 10 of John's gospel, beginning with verse 11 and going through verse 30, the title of the message, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one." So at least three times in this passage of scripture, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Look at verse 11 to remind you again, twice he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. And then in verse 14, he says it the third time, I am the good shepherd. Well, taking the word good, we ask the question good as in comparison to what or good as in contrast to what? Good as in contrast to a hireling. You'll notice in verses 12 and 13, he talks about the hireling. The word hireling is just a word referencing a a hired hand, someone who has been hired to look after the sheep. He makes it very clear that he does not own the sheep. He's simply been hired to look after the sheep. But when a wolf comes, he is frightened and instead of protecting the sheep, the hireling runs away, leaving them to become the prey of the, of the wolf who devours them or scatters them. So in contrast to the hireling, Jesus is the good shepherd. But in comparison to, in contrast to bad, Jesus is a good shepherd in contrast to the bad or the evil or the wicked one. Uh, But in comparison, Jesus is uh, in in the sense of quality. He's genuine. He is trustworthy. He is noble. He is praiseworthy. He is pleasing to God. So in that sense, yes, Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, there are over 300 references in the Bible about sheep. And of all the animals that our Lord could have chosen to use in reference to you and to me, because we are all God's sheep. We are all God's people who know the Lord as our Savior. So you and I are sheep, just like those to whom our Lord was addressing as recorded in the book of John chapter 10. But uh, there's nothing flattering about being called a sheep. Uh, A sheep, first of all, is a dumb animal. You just cannot teach a sheep to do anything. Now you can teach other animals to do things. You you can go to a circus and you can see where they have taught lions, and tigers and monkeys and horses and birds and uh, and dogs to do all kinds of tricks. But you can't teach a sheep to do anything. Uh, Sheep are defenseless. A horse can kick. A cat can scratch, a dog can bark and bite and run, a skunk can spray, a snake can bite, but a sheep cannot defend itself. Sheep need direction. They have very poor eyesight and oftentimes they're busy with their little heads pointed to the ground. They're not concerned about the direction in which they're moving and so oftentimes a sheep can get lost. And so he needs somebody to direct him in the right direction. And uh, sheep uh, can be very, very stubborn at times. They just, uh, they just want to have their own way. And uh, so, yes, we are like sheep, the Bible says. But the good thing, of course, is that the Lord is our good shepherd. And as any good shepherd He looks after his sheep and cares for his sheep. So in the moments that remain, I want us to look at five or six different things that we can dig out of this passage of scripture regarding Christ as our good shepherd. And the first thing that I want to share with you is that as our good shepherd, Jesus owns his sheep. He owns his sheep. Look at verses three and four of chapter 10, John chapter 10 in verses three and four. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Now, remember the doorkeeper now, I told you last week that sometimes the shepherds, when especially they would go to, uh, into the city, uh, they would hire someone uh, to stand guard at the entrance to a fold. And they would, several flocks or, or herd would be put into the same sheep fold. And uh, the, the, this shepherd or the keeper of the door uh, would say, make sure that they were safe. Now, the way that the shepherds could uh, separate his sheep when it came time the next morning to get them, you remember, it's because the sheep recognizes their shepherd's voice. And they will not respond to other shepherds, only to that voice that they recognize. So the doorkeeper is the one who has been hired to keep the door safe and the sheep safe. So to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls whom? His own sheep. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse four, when he puts forth all his own. So they belong to him and they are his and they recognize him and they are his. You'll notice down at verse 14, skip down to verse 14. Twice In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own knows me. So the shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Now, making an application of that, you and I belong to the Lord as his children. And you and I as the children of the Lord are gifts from the father to the son. I don't know if you ever thought of yourself as being a gift to anyone, but you are. You belong to the Lord Jesus because God the father gave you to him. Now look at John chapter 10. You're still in John chapter 10. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, it says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So by his own admission, Jesus is saying my heavenly father has given the sheep to me. Now keep your place here at John chapter 10 and turn to John chapter 17. You're still in the gospel of John. Just turn to chapter 17 and I want to point some verses out to you that underscore this thought of our being gifts to the fa- to, from the Father to the Son, from God the Father to God the Son. In John chapter 17, verse two, verse six, verse nine and verse 24. Five times Jesus says that the Father has given us to the Son." John 17:2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So everyone that the Father has given to the Son receives eternal life. You've been given to the Son, you have received eternal life. Skip down to verse six, John 17, verse six. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. Look at verse nine. I asked on their behalf, I do not ask on my behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And then down at verse 24, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have have given me be with me where I am. So that we, that they may see my glory which you has given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So five times in these four verses of scripture, Jesus underscores again the fact that God the Father has given you to God the Son and you belong to him. But not only because God the Father has given you to God the Son, you belong to him, a uh, second reason, because he has purchased you with, uh, by his own life when he died on the cross of Calvary. Now, you're still in John chapter 10. Go back to John chapter 10 and look at verse 11. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, it doesn't say crucified here. It doesn't talk about his crucifixion, but laying down is a reference to what Jesus did in order to purchase you, in order to redeem you, in order to pay the price for your salvation. And Jesus says, as the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, he says, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 17, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. And he says it again in verse 18, no one has taken my life from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. So here now our Lord is underscoring the fact that you belong to him because he gave his life for you. Jesus died for you, laying down his life for you. And Paul takes up this idea and in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, what, no you're not, that you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify your God your, in your body, the Lord Jesus Christ, because you belong to him. You belong to the Lord and your body is the temple of the, Jesus doesn't live in this building. God doesn't live in this. God doesn't live in any building. But God the Holy Spirit does live in you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You received God the Holy Spirit who is Jesus in the Spirit and your body becomes the sanctuary or the temple of the living presence of the living Holy Spirit. And He is in you and you belong to Him because you are a gift to Jesus from the father and Jesus paid for you. He bought you by his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. So the good shepherd owns his sheep. Notice the second thing in verses 14 and 15, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me even as the fathers know me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, the word know, as it's used here, doesn't just mean an acknowledgement of, you know who this person is, you recognize their, when, they, when they show up, you know them by name. That's one way of knowing somebody. But the word that's used here, know, and in other places of the Bible, speaks of an intimate personal relationship with someone. It's this word no that is used over in the book of Genesis as well as in other places of the Bible when it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a child or son. So there the word no is used in reference to the intimate, personal, sexual relationship between a husband and his wife or wife and her husband. It speaks of that close personal, intimate relationship. It's not always used in a sexual sense, such as is in this place, where the shepherd says, "I know my sheep. I just don't know them by appearance. I don't know them just by, uh, by name because he says that he's named each one of them. If you have a, a hundred sheep, in the Bible, Jesus used the parable about the lost shepherd, the lost sheep, how the shepherd left the 99 and went looking for the lost sheep. He had a hundred sheep. He hadn't had a name for each one of them and he could identify each one of them. But he knew them not only by name and appearance, he knew them intimately. He knew everything there was to know about each one of those 100 sheep. Each shepherd knew the name of his sheep. He knew the nature of each sheep. He knew those that were pronged to wander, those that wanted to have their own way, those that delayed obeying their shepherd's command. He could identify everyone. I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna try to get lost today. Oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to be stubborn. You're not going to want to follow me. He knows every one of us, folks. But not only does the shepherd know his sheep, the sheep knows the shepherd. Just as children come to understand their parents better and pupils their teachers, so sheep learn to read their shepherd's voices and gestures. He says the sheep will not respond to other shepherds. But each sheep recognizes the voice of his personal shepherd and he responds to the voice of his personal shepherd. The shepherd's voice and gestures, they know when the the shepherd is warning them, don't go that way, when he's calling them to come together or when he is simply reminding them, I'm watching you, I'm watching you, don't do that. It encourages me to know that my shepherd knows me He understands me thoroughly. And in spite of knowing everything there is to know about me, he still loves me. He still loves me. Take your Bibles, keep your place here, but turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses one through three. Psalm 139, verses one, two, and three. Psalm 139, verse one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my laying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. So the Lord owns you. You belong to him. And he knows everything there is to know about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows not only what you say and what you do, but what you think and why you think it and why you say it and why you do it and all the results that come from it. There is nothing about you that Jesus doesn't know. And yet he loves you in spite of all the bad things there are about you, as well as the good things. The good shepherd owns his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. In the third place, the good shepherd calls his sheep calls his sheep go to John chapter 10 we're back in John chapter 10 this time we're looking at verses 3 4 and 5 John 10 3 4 and 5 it says um, to him that is to the shepherd the doorkeeper opens the sheep the sheep who hears his voice and he says and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he puts forth all his sheep, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So the shepherd doesn't necessarily shout or holler at the sheep. He just calls them gently by name, lovingly. They recognize his name and he calls them out They don't follow a stranger. No, they only follow the voice of the shepherd they recognize. God calls you too. You know, all through the Bible, we read of God calling people. Back in the Old Testament, God called Abraham by name. Abraham called him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Over in the 22nd chapter, uh, when the Lord got ready for Abraham to uh, take his son, his only son, Isaac, to the top of the mountain to offer as a sacrifice, he began by calling Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. When Moses stood at the burning bush, God called out Moses' name, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground on which you stand is holy. Holy. When little Samuel was but a little boy, his mother Hannah, having given him to Eli, she'd given him to the Lord. She prayed for a child. She was childless, barren. And the Lord blessed her by giving her a child. And she said, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. So after she had weaned him and he's old enough to be on his own, she took him to the temple and gave him to the, to the Lord, gave him to Eli to supervise and to train. One night, little Samuel was lying on his bed God called him by name, Samuel, Samuel. He thought it was Eli. So we got up and went to Eli. Yes, what do you want? He said, I haven't called you. Go back to bed. God called him again, Samuel, Samuel. Thinking that again, it was Eli. He went to him. And of course, Eli finally realizes, well, God's calling him. God is speaking to him. He says, go back and lie down. And when the Lord calls you again, say, here I am. And the Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. He said, here I am, Lord, what do you want? God called little Samuel, become the first prophet that God would use to share his good name. Martha, who was in the kitchen, she was a cook. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She got upset because Mary wasn't in the kitchen helping her. And she went out to complain to Jesus. Tell Mary to get up and come in here and help me. I'm, we got a lot of food to prepare in order to feed everybody. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, oh, Martha, Martha. You're so uptight about these things. She has chosen the better thing. Martha, Martha. And then there's old Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in the tree because the Lord he wanted to see. Jesus Don't know that he ever met him before until that day, but looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down for today. I must go to your house. And then there was on that first resurrection morning when Mary and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb to finish preparing the body of Jesus for burial. And of course, Mary was just, her eyes filled with tears. Jesus in his glorified state, probably uh, impossible to recognize at first glance. uh, I said, "Uh, where have you taken Uh, He said, who are you looking for? And she said, well, I'm looking for the body of my Lord. Where where has he been taken? And Jesus looked at her and said, Mary, Mary, it's me. So the Lord calls us by name. When, when When you got saved, whether you recognized it as such or not, the Lord called you. He called you by your name. Today we don't hear God's voice as those believers did, but the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to convince your mind and to convert your hearts, and we cry out to God, Oh, God, save me. Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, said, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Paul identified the people of God as the called out of the Lord Jesus. In Romans 8.30, he says that we were not only predestined, but also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we are told that he has called us out of a world of spiritual darkness. And he's also called us and to give us eternal life forever and forever. So there's this call that God has given to you. You did not come to know him and be his by accident. God has called you and you have responded to that call. To follow him involves a change of mind and a complete separation from the old world and the way of the world. It's called repentance. It means that you turn away from your sins and you say, I'm not gonna live a life of sin anymore. And I'm going to turn away from my sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and respond to his call and claim upon my life. Notice the fourth thing, not only that God owns us and knows us and calls us, but the good shepherd cares for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. Now notice in verse 8, actually there are are four uh, characters or people that are mentioned in, in these passages of scripture. There is the thief and the robber, the hired hand and the good shepherd. You'll notice in verse eight, he says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. So there are two of them. Now, what's the difference between a thief and a robber? Well, you have to go to the meaning of the words. One of them, the thief is a person who will steal from you in a nonviolent way. He'll scam you. Uh, he'll break into your house and take something from you when you know, you're at church and worshiping. Right now, they're probably knocking on your door. And they're going to steal something from you. They're not going to you know, kill you or threaten you or beat you up. They'll just, they'll just steal from you. Or you'll get this scam where he says, oh, I, I, can, I can make a millionaire out of you if you'll just give me X number of dollars or whatever. And so they just silently, nonviolently steal from you. But a, but a robber, oh, a robber, will, he'll hold you up with a gun. He'll put a knife up to you. He'll threaten you. He might even kill you. He might even hit you over the head with something. He will steal from you in a violent way. Just as the wolf doesn't just go in and invite his sheep to go along with him. He goes in there to ravage, to kill him, to, to chew him up, to attack him, cut his throat with its teeth and eat it. Violent. And then there's this hireling. This guy who has been hired he doesn't care anything about the sheep. All he's care about is getting paycheck. So when there's danger, he's not going to hang around. He's going to flee. And so he runs. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus cares about his sheep. In verse 9, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy excuse me, verse nine, I am am the door. If anyone uh, comes through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So he's the good shepherd who gives us life, not just life, but the abundant life. Everything that the Lord gives to you, he gives is good because he cares about you. He goes before his sheep to find the best pasture, the safest places from which to drink water. He knows when his sheep need to lie down. Well, you've been out now for several hours. It's time for you to lie down. And he gently leads them to lie down. He makes sure that there are no holes or dangerous enemies hidden. You know, little sheep just keep their noses to the ground and they go along. And and sometimes snakes bore holes into the ground. And they'll come to the surface and they can bite the the, the sheep's nose or they're insects or flies or gnats that just bug them to death. And, and the Lord takes care of them. He protects them and provides for them. And he corrects them, that's why he has that rod. He, he may throw a rod at a sheep that's trying to get away and he'll throw that rod at him and, and hit the sheep in the side and it'll hurt him. But it's not that he hates the sheep, he loves the sheep. He's trying to keep the sheep from getting into trouble. Sometimes a sheep wanders away and, uh, and, if, and if he's been chewing on the grass and he gets his little stomach full, uh, if, if he's not careful, if he goes to an area where there's a slope and he, and he moves on that slope and he falls over, he, he'll end up on his back and his little hoofs will be up in the air. And and it's called a cast down sheep because if the shepherd can't get to him in time, the, the sun beaming down on the sheep will cause all of these gases and stuff to, to, uh, to, to be created in its stomach, he'll become bloated and if the shepherd can't get to him in time, he'll die. You know, over in the psalmist, uh, in the Psalms, the psalmist said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You ever get cast down on the inside? You ever just get bloated with depression and discouragement and feel sorry for yourself? The shepherd will help you. He has that staff that has a crook at the end of it. And if the sheep does fall off the cliff and it can be reached not by hand, but by the staff, he'll reach down with the staff and pull him up, rescue him. It's because he cares about the sheep and the Lord cares about you. He leads you into green pastures and quiet waters, and right paths and dark valleys and dangerous enemies. No circumstances beyond the skill of the good shepherd to keep his sheep safe. The fifth thing is that the, God, the good shepherd dies for a sheep now, I referred to this last week. This is unheard of. Shepherds don't die for sheep. You who have cattle or have other kinds of animals, would you die for a cow? Oh, you might buy one and, and, and use it. Would you, would, you, would you die for a bull? Would you, would you die for a dog or a cat? No, probably wouldn't. But the shepherd says... I'll lay my life down for the sheep. Now, he's talking about people. He's not talking about animals. He's talking about people. He's talking about you. You're his sheep. And he said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Now, notice quickly, we've got about five things here that I want to tell you about the way he dies for you. First of all, it's visible. When Jesus died, he died in public view of everyone. His death was visible. Everybody who was there saw it. In John 19, verse 17 and following, they took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Gogotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It is written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And the scripture tells us that it was written in both um, uh, Hebrew, Greek and Latin. Why? Why three different languages? Because the place where Jesus was crucified was kind of a cross section where people from all parts of the world came and they spoke Greek and Hebrew and Latin. And, and Pilate wanted to make sure that there was no question as to who was hanging on the cross. These Jews came to, Pilate said, don't put, he's the king of the Jews, put, he said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written, it's going to stand. But Jesus was erected on a cross. He was lifted up from the earth so that everybody who was there could see him. It was not done in a closed room. It wasn't done in a cave or a closet. It was done in public view of everybody who was there. Christ was not ashamed to let the world know that he was dying for you. Not only was it visible, but it was voluntary. Go back to chapter 10. And look, beginning with verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life. Look at verse 17. I laid down my life so that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Nobody, listen to me, nobody forced Jesus to go to the cross. They didn't have to tie his hands behind his back. They didn't have to put the cross on him. They they didn't have, Jesus, Jesus, voluntarily laid down his life for you. At any given moment, yea, at any given second, all our Lord would have had to have done to blink his eye or say the word and 10,000 angels would have rescued him from Calvary. At any moment, nobody stu- stuck a, a knife into his uh, a neck or a spear into his neck and said, I'm gonna kill you or cut your head off if you don't do this. I I can imagine our Lord laying down and just the soldier didn't have to take his arm and stretch it out and he he just stretched his arms out and let him nail his arms, his hands to to the cross, take his feet and nail his feet to the cross. He said, I got authority to do it. Nobody takes my life from me. I voluntarily lay it down for the sheep. Not only that, it was vicarious Vicarious means in the stead of or in the place of. So look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life far, F-O-R, far. Look at verse 15. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here, the preposition far means in the place of. So Jesus took your place on the cross. He died the death you deserve to die and that I deserve to die. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died in your place and in my place so that I wouldn't have to die the death of sin. He died in my place. Vicarious. Instead of my dying. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there was somebody whose place he took. You remember who it was? Ah, Barabbas. Barabbas. Here's Jesus with Pilate standing at the corner overlooking the Jewish people who demanded, crucify him, crucify him. Why? What sin has he done? What wrong has he done? Crucify him. Everyone about to listen to him. It is as you know the custom for me to release a prisoner. Who would you like me to release? Barabbas or Christ? Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Can you imagine here's old Barabbas sitting in his jail cell and he hears the jailer come and he's rattling his chains and he's putting it, uh, the key in the lock and he's walking down the, the hallway and Barabbas just knows man here it comes they're coming after me I'm on my way to the, to the, to the death chamber I'm going to be crucified and the jailer opens his, his jail door and walks in and, and Barabbas has probably irons on his wrist and irons around his feet and the jailer just takes his key and unlocks them lets them fall to the floor and unlocks the chains that are around his feet and he says you're free to go and Barabbas is standing there with his mouth wide open what do you mean free to go? Yeah, somebody named Jesus has taken your place. Barabbas was set free. And that's what Jesus does for you. He died for you so that you could be set free from sin. Furthermore, it was victorious. Go back to chapter 10, look verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. (laughs) Notice those words, so that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one's taken it from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He's talking about the resurrection, folks. (laughs) He got it back and you will too. If you trust Christ as your Savior. When when Jesus cried out, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up the ghost, there were those who were standing at the foot of the cross who thought, Man, as they drew their self righteous, righteous rags around themselves, man, we're we're through with that problem maker, troublemaker. Oh, how little did they know. It was only the beginning of a new era. He was victorious. He stomped the head of the serpent and won. Quickly, my time is up, but one final thing is the day will come when, well, the shepherd gathers his sheep. Uh, He says uh, in, in, well, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock. So notice the difference between a fold and a flock. And uh, the the flock would be a reference to everybody. The, The fold that he's talking about, the sheep that he has in another fold, I disagree with some of those denominations who think that maybe Jesus came to America and witnessed to the Indians and all of that kind of stuff. I think he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. There's only two kinds of people in the world according to the scriptures and to the Jew. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter what race, nationality, tribe, or whatever you may come from, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And the Bible says in Matthew 10, verses five and six, that Jesus gave instructions to his 12 disciples and sent them out to the Gentiles, also to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles. So I think that he was saying to them, look, there there are Jewish people that need to be saved. You need to go to the house of Israel and witness to them. Did you know and do you remember that the twelve apostles? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those guys, all of them were Jews. Paul was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. The first evangelists, the first disciples, the first leaders of the early church were all Jewish converts. And they were used to bring the message, the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world, to the Gentile world. And so Jesus intends for the message to be proclaimed to everyone. Now, let me finish with this, and I'll, I'll be through. We don't have the time to look at it, but just write down in the reference Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 33 through 46. According to Matthew 25, verses 33 through 46, there will come a day when the Son of Man, which is another title for the Good Shepherd, Jesus has several names. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Good Shepherd. He's called the Great I Am. He's also called the Son of Man. And it says in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew that someday Jesus is going to come back to this earth and all the angels with him Everyone in heaven with him. And he's going to call all the nations of the earth together. And he's going to separate them. On one side he's going to put the sheep. And on the other side he's going to put the goats. And he will say to the sheep, come thou blessed of my father. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you ministered to me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said, Lord, when did we ever see you like this? And he said, "Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And then he'll say to the goats, depart from me. I never knew you because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and you didn't minister to me. I was in prison, you never came to me. And they said, well, when did we ever see you like that? And his response will be, "Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, don't misunderstand the parable and don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you that if you'll just do good works, you'll be saved and go to heaven. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a day of reckoning. I'm not going to heaven because I've done good works. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good guy, a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather, have marvelous grandchildren. I'm not going to heaven because you know, I don't kick the dog. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a member of this church. I'm going to heaven because I love Jesus. And I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. He's my Savior. And when I get to heaven, the gates of heaven are going to open up, not because my name is on this church roll, but because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know Jesus. But I think that what he's saying there is he's going to give out. You, You were blessed of the Father. You did what you did in my name because you loved me and you knew me and you served me. But I want to ask you a question. When that day comes, and it's coming, folks, and you're going to be standing before Jesus, which group are you going to be in? Are you going to be a part of the sheep? Or are you going to be a part of the goats? The saddest words I believe that anybody will ever hear spoken by Jesus will be these. Depart from me. I never knew you. I hope that will never be said of you. I hope that when you look into the face of the Good Shepherd, he'll say, Welcome to my fall. Let's bow together. Oh, Father, oh, Holy Spirit of God, how. We pray that your convicting power will be very evident, and prevalent in our service today. As we come to this moment of invitation, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you'll just prick our hearts of sin and unrighteousness. That if there's someone here today who needs to trust Jesus, oh, Holy Spirit, make them miserable because of the kind of life that they've tried to live apart from you but at the same time help them to realize there's joy and happiness and forgiveness when they're willing to turn from their sins and embrace and invite Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior into their lives. Holy Spirit, guide us during this time of invitation and we'll praise the Father for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand please? And if God the Holy Spirit needs you to respond today, please come.